Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy football. Draft your team with no in-season management. Get the optimal score each week of the season and have a shot at over $10 million in total prize money in their Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, sign up with promo code FSE, and Underdog is going to match your first deposit up to $100. Again, Underdog Fantasy. Sign up with promo code FSE and draft your Best Ball Mania 3 team today. What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you with our top 10 tight end rankings, our way too early rankings for 2022 fantasy football. If you guys have been following along this week, we've been going through our early top 10 running backs, top 10 wide receivers, top 12 quarterbacks. Today, we're going to tackle the top 10 tight ends and some strategy points on how we're going to handle this position in our fantasy drafts this year. So if you guys enjoy this video at any point, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, subscribe to the channel if you are new as well. Make sure to check out Underdog Fantasy, sponsor of this video. You can take this advice right into action using the promo code FSE at sign up and first deposit. You'll get 100% back on whatever you put in. So if you put in 50 bucks, you'll have 100 on the site to play with. That'll be four entries into the Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Going fast and furious right now. Yeah, no, uh, and to be quite honest, if you want to mi- if you want to win that money, if you want to win uh, Best Ball Mania three, as ugly as it sounds at this tight end position, you're going to need a good one. You're going to need one that can give you a serviceable production or potentially elite production from some of these top guys. Uh, pending, as always, as I always say, opportunity cost. But yeah, I'm ready to roll, ready to roll up these sleeves and get into the yucky position that is tight end. Yeah, for sure. So before we get into the yucky position that is tight end, as always, got to hit the intro. All right, so some of the strategy points that we take in the tight end position, and we actually, this is probably one of the positions we differ the most at, probably the position we differ the most at. Um, Danny's much more on the side of early round tight end, get yourself a stud, that weekly ceiling factor positional advantage. Whereas me, I'm kind of focused on like the raw point potential that I'm giving up at wide receiver or running back. If I pass on one of those potential studs at those positions for a positional advantage at the tight end. So I don't mind personally, my tight end on my roster being a less than stellar option or a guy that is the weakest point on my roster. The one caveat I will say with underdog ADP, which is what we're going to be using with all these tight ends is that it might be slightly inflated due to the fact that these elite options are, are pushed up the board because most people assume in these large field tournaments, you need an elite one to get those elite weeks. And also because you can't stream the position, you can't trade for any tight ends. You can't make, you know, waiver claims to pick up a tight end in a managed league. You can do all those things. So that's why I think, partially why we see these um, you know, elite tight ends go a little higher on underdog versus a managed league. Well, adding to that, uh, for most teams on underdog, you're getting two, three, sometimes four tight ends in a singular team. Therefore, the scarcity of the position as a whole is going to be brought up if more teams are rostering tight ends. When you're in your home league, realistically, like somebody's rostering at most two tight ends at a time. Nobody, like If you take Travis Kelsey realistically in the first, second round, you're not drafting another tight end. If you take Andrews, you're not drafting another tight end. Also, I quickly want to add in terms of the strategy point, the way I kind of view the the tight end position overall as a philosophy is that I'm either going to spend early, I'm going to spend, you know, on an Andrews type on, you know, uh, up until the Waller, Kittle, Pitts area around four or five. If I do not get an elite difference making tight end like that, 
I have no problem punting the position. I have no problem waiting until round 10, round 11, where we get into the, you know, Zach Ertz range, the Cole Komet range, the Hunter range Henry. like that. Where, yeah. Exactly. Because realistically, like tight end six, tight end seven on, separate them by a, by a fingertip. Separate them by quite literally like a potato chip. That is like the difference between tight end six and tight end 15 on a year-to-year basis. If you are not getting an elite one, you may as well just punt and accept better opportunity costs down the road in your draft. Yeah, so for for me, I usually like to take the approach that I'm going to try and predict breakouts with tight ends because I know I can get them at less of an opportunity cost. I get all my great wide receivers and running backs, potentially an elite quarterback early on in the draft. Um, whereas specifically if I'm going to choose one onesie position to go after early in the draft, it's going to be quarterback over tight end, because I think we're much better at predicting the elite quarterbacks than we are the elite tight ends as much as we um, are pretty you know, comfortable in these top guys. I know I can get, you know, Dawson Knox, Dalton Schultz. There's a guy or two like that every single year off of waivers. And it's something that I pay a lot of attention to because I don't typically have a good tight end on my roster. So when one pops up, after a week, I make sure to allocate a good amount of my fab to that. Or I can weasel, you know, a Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts type in a trade after a couple down weeks in a row because people are very reactionary. And the last I've won three championships in the last uh, two years. I played in five redraft leagues. I've had an elite tight end on my roster every single year, and I did not draft an elite tight end once. How translatable that is for the majority of leagues? Well, we have yet I, everybody to see, plays but... reactionary fantasy football, man. You're gonna find there's four or five elite tight ends or, or very good options at the tight end position every year. Once you get two or three bad weeks out of one of them, there's bound to be a, a manager in your league that starts to panic a little bit and is willing to trade you a downgrade at the tight end position for an upgrade uh, because you have an extra wide receiver or running back. Or something. And, and that's more so playing your league micro market. If you know that you're in a reactionary league and you can make that type of move, sure. But from a pure macro standpoint, from a pure structural roster building standpoint, banking on that happening is just kind of inconsistent. So uh, that's my one caveat. I don't Again, know. We're... To me, all fantasy players are reactionary, <laughs> so I can bank on that happening. It's yet to have failed me in any league that I've played. So the last point that we want to talk about here is that even on a site like Underdog, obviously you can't you know pick up waiver players and you can't make trades. Even on a site like Underdog, because uh, for the most part, the weekly ceiling is why these tight ends go higher because George Kittle and Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, they can put up like 30-point games, which yeah. you know Dawson Knox, Dalton Schultz, they can't do that. Like Their, their ceiling game is usually like a touchdown in 50 yards, or maybe they score two touchdowns or something like that. But if I stack up three options, like for example, one, uh, my best advanced rate team in best ball mania two last year had Gronk Hunter Henry and Pat Fryermuth on it. So I would have gotten a lot of spike games out of those guys. Obviously that's an extreme example because I picked out a bunch of late round tight ends that all hit. But that's my point, basically, is there's probably a couple guys in the late rounds that you can get that are going to score six to eight touchdowns or whatever, and you can stack up maybe not all three of those guys, but maybe two of them hit. If you can guarantee me a Gronk every year, round 12 every year, like I'm not taking an early. Well, he's right currently now. going in like round 11. So, Which we'll yeah, get into. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into, especially uh, when he's donning that uh, that uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform yet again within the next couple of weeks. That's going to be shooting up to round five. Yeah, and I will I would gladly take him over Darren Waller, but we'll get into that. So let's start with the first tight end, the guy that is ranked the highest for us. You actually have somebody different than I do. I have uh, Travis Kelsey, number one. You have Mark Andrews, number one, which Shocking, is weird because I'm typically the guy that rips on <laughs> Travis Kelsey. But we're going to start with Travis Kelsey. He's tied for our tight end one. He is tight end one currently on underdog 11.8 overall. So he is, you know, one, two turn pick at as it currently stands. My issue with drafting Travis Kelsey round one, because everybody knows like the good about Travis Kelsey he plays for the chiefs. He's got a you know high target share, all that kind of stuff. My issue with drafting him in round one is that even if he reaches a ceiling and we've seen his ceiling was 20.9 PPR points per game, 
in 2020. Tight end ADP in best ball is, like I said, inflated because you can't stream or trade. Here's my concern, though. In 2021, the Chiefs passing offense averaged 6.8 net yards per attempt. We noticed it. They looked a little bit worse than they've been in years past. They had 25 turnovers as well. We noticed that the offense wasn't quite as dominant as it's been in years past. Are we expecting the lack of Tyreek Hill being there to help with that? Or is that going to make it at least the same or worse? To me, I think Kelsey is probably in line to at least match his career high in targets, if not even break it. Tyree oh. Kill has been missing the last few years in four games. And in those games, Travis Kelsey has less PPR points, less touchdowns, you know, less yardage, despite having more targets in those games. So I think just as a general philosophy, Tyreek not being on the field, it doesn't open up as much space for Kelsey. He's going to be less efficient. Could he have 160 targets this year? Absolutely. He's a volume play, a good one, definitely a very good volume play, but he is also a little bit older. He has a little bit more risk of injury as a result. Probably not somebody I end up drafting unless his price falls to like the mid-second round. The thing with him and Andrews is if any of them fall to the mid to late second round is when I'm typically in on them. But if I have to take him over Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, even DeAndre Swift, that's where I'm out. I'm I have no problem taking whoever's cheaper. Kelsey usually goes a bit earlier than than Andrews. And as you guys will see, I do have Andrews at number one. So I'm gonna end up with a lot more Andrews than I will with Kelsey. But you kind of outlined the bull case. I mean, he can command targets, he's got Patrick Frick and Mahomes throwing in the football. And as long as he's touching the football play uh, field and playing 17 games, like He's going to flirt with 10, 11, 12, 13 touchdowns for a tight end that's going to put up at minimum 1,100, 1,200 receiving yards. So, yeah, the pros are there, but the cons, 33-year-old tight end, we don't necessarily know how many more years he has left. We don't necessarily know when he's going to be start showing the signs of what a 33-year-old player who's dominated for the last seven years will show. I mean, we, going into the last season, we're saying the exact same thing about a guy like Julio Jones. Julio Jones, one of the best receivers of all time, best receiver of his decade, fell off a cliff. Betting on players that are this advanced in their career just gives me a lot more uneasiness. So again, with, with the Mark Andrews versus Travis Kelsey tiebreaker, I'm going to lean on the 27-year-old player that is going to command and show up comparable output rather than Travis Kelsey. So overall, I mean, I like Kelsey. I, I think he's still got, as you said, a, an incredibly high ceiling, but there's a lot more caution to be had. And I kind of mentioned my tight end one is in fact, Mark Andrews tight end from the Baltimore Ravens currently going off the board tight end to 16.9 overall in underdog fantasy. 16.9 is probably a little bit too high for me, but as soon as he falls to like the 19, 20, 21 area, I'm more than fine with it. Cause we're going to get into the ambiguous area of that running back uh, texture and get off the surefire studs at wide receiver. So 1920, no problems with that. But let's talk about Mark Andrews and basically outlined how special of a season he is coming off of from 2021. So this past season, he commanded a 26.6% target percentage, which was first in the NFL, and a 30% target rate, which was actually second in the NFL, along with a 17.7 PPR point per game output on route to an overall tight end one finish. And for me personally, the biggest question mark that a lot of you are going to raise, I'm sure Corey's going to raise with Andrews would be the overall potential decrease, which is what we can see from the Baltimore Ravens passing attack. Again, last season, they were 23rd in neutral pass rate and had the ninth most passing attempts, a big uptick from what we've seen in the past from that Baltimore Ravens ground and pound run you down type of offense from 2019 and 2020 due to the returns, obviously of, you know, a guy like JK Dobbins, a guy like Gus Edwards, maybe changing that offensive philosophy back to what was successful for the Ravens. However, 
not enough people are really outlining the potential increase in efficiency that we could see from this passing offense. This passing offense last year threw 19 total touchdowns in 17 games. Lamar Jackson, in the 12 games he played, had a 4.2% touchdown rate en route to 16 touchdowns in 12 games. I'm not, you know, saying he's going to, you know, pause the regression. He's going to go, you know, back to 2019 MVP, 9% touchdown uh, rate type of uh, numbers. But from falling 9% to 6.9% two years ago to 4.2%, I feel like we're going to find a happy medium there. And realistically, if we're giving this passing offense 25 to 30 touchdowns, Andrews was a guy who commanded nine total touchdowns on this offense on 19 total passing touchdowns that were thrown. So even if we, you know, situate that passing attack, situate his overall target volume down due to the lack of passing volume we can project from last year compared to this year, he is still going to be flirting with that 27, 28% target percentage, especially with the departure of Marquise Brown in that offense. If Mark Andrews is commanding 140, 145 targets, potential increase in touchdown rate from Lamar Jackson, this passing offense, we could still be looking at a 13, 1400 yard, 12 touchdown type of year from a guy as efficient as Mark Andrews is. So that's why I'm still willing to bet on him. Also do, as I said, the tiebreaker of age between Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey. I loved Mark Andrews last year. And part of the reason I loved him is because I could get him in round four and five. I I'm not drafting a tight end in the middle of round two. I'm just not <laughs> going to do it. I think there's running backs and wide receivers going in that area that have 20 point per game upside. And again, this is kind of a philosophical difference as good as Mark Andrews is. You know, raw point total upside for him is 17 points per game, 18 points per game. I'll take the potential that Leonard Fournette has a 22 point per game type of season, or Mike Evans has a 21 point per game type of season in that type of area of the draft. So um, it's nothing against Mark Andrews. I just think he's a little overvalued relative to the running backs and wide receivers going around him. But like you said, if he slides a little bit, I'm cool with him. Uh, let's move on to the next tight end. We'll try and speed these up a little bit, but that yeah. <laughs> those, those high-end guys are, are definitely a conversation. Worth conversation. Point. Part of the reason I don't like the high-end guys is because I don't think there's a huge difference between a guy like George Kittle and them. And the case for Kittle is quite simple. He's tight end five right now, 49.8 overall on Still. underdog fantasy. The, the case for Kittle is equally as appealing as it was last year, in my opinion. Superstar talent, elite target share for the position, who's capable of those rare performances on a weekly basis, 25, 30-point-per-game type of performances that very few tight ends in the NFL can actually, you know, put out, especially in a large field tournament like, you know, Best Ball Mania or something like that. That's very valuable. Debo and Ayuk both had productive stretches last year, yet we still had a 25% target share for George Kittle, which was the tight end four in points per game and one of the highest target shares at the position. It was actually higher than Travis Kelsey's. The only person who had a higher target share was Mark Andrews last year. Of the elite guys, he's definitely the best value. For sure, because to be honest, I don't see a huge difference between Kelsey, Andrews, and him, especially not 35 picks or two and a half to three rounds of ADP. If Kelsey or if Kittle was going, you know, early third round, which is where I think relative to Andrews and, and Kelsey, it's probably where he should be going. It's kind of surprising to me that that Kittle is the one that is, is sliding that far. Yeah, and I'll, I actually tweeted this out. I'll probably add this to the doc. Uh, I was actually replying uh, on a Kelsey versus Kittle type of thread. And the way I look at it, again, I, I'm always looking in the frame of opportunity costs. I'm looking at it as Travis Kelsey and on Underdog Fantasy, if you guys are on it right now, uh, promo code FSC, by the way, 100% matchback. You guys could see that Travis Kelsey is going around the 10-11 range. George Kittle, as you said, going around that 49-50 type of range. From a sheer swappable type of comparison, would you guys rather have Devontae Adams and George Kittle or Travis Kelsey and Cortland Sutton? 
Because that's basically the comparable wide receiver versus tight end range you are looking at. Yes, I project a guy like Kelsey to outscore George Kittle. But from a straight opportunity standpoint, like George Kittle, from a talent, from a target share, from an offensive standpoint, should still be, when he's on the field, a 14, 15-plus point-per-game tight end. So I just think this is a big market inefficiency on George Kittle's pricing. I think, as you kind of said, he should be a mid third round type of player but the fact that he's going at the back end of the fourth go scoop that value yeah exactly and a guy that is going in the mid third round right now is uh tight end four for us in kyle pitts tight end three off the board right now 32 overall now i would personally just rather kittle straight up over kyle pitts yep. let alone at a 17 pick discrepancy so i'll let you you know take it away with him i mean the bull case is simple uh simple yes i do prefer kittle but I still like Pitts, and I still think, you know, back end third, early fourth range, he should still be in that discussion because, I mean, when we're looking at the peripherals, this is a 20.3 target share player that is just coming off the second best seasonal rookie tight end output that we have ever seen. We're looking at a over 1,000 yards, 110 targets from a 21-year-old genetic freak prospect that was coming into the NFL. That's what Kyle Pitts basically provides you. And it's funny because the main criticism of Kyle Pitts was his unsustainably low touchdown rate. 110 targets should not be netting a six foot six, 245-pound Megatron-esque athlete one touchdown. If you are banking on a guy like that producing one touchdown per year throughout his career— I'm sorry, you were in for a rough time. Kyle Pitts, yes. Is he is he going to be, you know, a 15-touchdown score and what should be a bad offense with the Falcons? Probably not, but given his talent level, given the targets he's going to command, we could easily see this progress to the 6-8 to eight touchdown range. And if we're getting that from, as we said, a wide receiver, basically, and a tight end body that is being used out wide, being used in the slot, and still getting that tight end designation... I am willing to take these dart throws on a guy like Kyle Pitts because, to put it simply, he is going to have a blow-up monster, 1,300-yard, 1,400-yard, like 12 to 15 touchdown year in his range of outcomes, given his talent level at any point. And until that happens, he's going to have a third, fourth-round opportunity cost. And I'm sure as not going to tell you, as soon as he has that year, as soon as he has the year that his talent level would dictate, he is going to be going where Kelsey is right now. Yeah, I don't disagree. And as someone who had Pitts last year, the entire season, um, Kyle Pitts is the type of, like, if people are worried about, oh, well, they drafted Drake London eighth overall, is he going to take away targets? Trust me, if you had Kyle Pitts last year, you know that he was actually better when Ridley was on the field. When you have another uh, weapon to take advantage of, you know, mismatches and get generate first downs and points and all that kind of stuff, it really helps the offense out. The Atlanta Falcons barely scored any points last year. And part of that is because, you know, Kyle Pitts couldn't score any touchdowns either, but at the same time, you you have to expect that a guy this talented is not going to score one touchdown, even if the quarterback play is worse this year, which I would argue it is with Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter um, being the two quarterbacks that he has to rely on. But again, even from a redraft perspective, this should be a guy, his talent level alone should be able to carry him to at least like 1,000-yard, five-touchdown type of season. I just think a little bit too rich. I don't think he has um, a, a massive, massive ceiling from a point-per-game standpoint. I think he has a you know top three top five finish ceiling at the position, but I think that's like a 14 point per game season. Yeah. You know, he's he probably, you know, given the status of this offense, given the lack of access to uh, what should be a, I mean, the realistically, the Falcons are going to throw like 20 touchdowns next year. And if the Falcons are throwing 20 touchdowns, as much as I love Pitts, he's, 
probably only got six to eight touchdowns in his range, given the lack of touchdown scoring on this offense. Unless, you know, you have a complete outlier season, like I said, with Andrew scoring nine on the 19 the Ravens threw last year. That doesn't simply happen. That doesn't simply grow on trees. If Pitts gets six to eight touchdowns, he's going to be well worth that pick. And given the sheer ability to command targets, I think he should probably reside in that range. But either way, enough on Pitts. We know how, how the talent level is. We can get on to, I'll let you take away, you know, your five and six because the second guy on that, you know, double turn, if you will, is a guy that's going criminally low on underdog right now, given the uncertainty bias that drafters are showing right now. I'll let you go with Darren Waller first and then get into the next guy. Yeah, I actually have um, Rob Gronkowski is the next guy, but I have Darren uh, Gronk actually higher than Darren Waller, but you have Waller higher, so it kind of balances itself out. Darren Waller, tight end four, 42 overall uh, in ADP. Waller kind of just strikes me as the guy that will be the casual player's value. So if you guys play in a more casual league, the reason I say this is because on underdog, he's going about appropriately where he should be going, right? Fourth, fifth round type of area. But people in your home leagues, when you guys actually get to your you know, um, work league draft or your, your school draft or whatever your home league is, they're going to see a tight end coming off of an injury riddled season. Maybe he burned them last year. Now they add Devontae Adams to this offense, and they're going to let Darren Waller slide to round five, round six, because there's too many mouths to feed, right? The classic casual fan bias. And he could be a big time snag at that point. So uh, depending on your league micro market, I think this is a guy that could be a big time target for me. Devontae Adams definitely dents his target share. He definitely impacts how many targets he's going to get. Uh, but Devontae Adams, like I said, again, with Drake London and Kyle Pitts, he improves the offense. He's going to also free up Darren Waller in the red zone more because we haven't seen a high touchdown output from Darren Waller at this point in his career. I love this Raiders offense this year. I think they have a chance to be really, really good. They're going to have Devontae Adams to take away attention from Darren Waller. Darren Waller is going to be more efficient on his targets. He's probably not going to get as many as he got in previous seasons, but he's still Derek Carr's dude. And he's still a guy that's going to feast uh, on the targets that he does get. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mentioned it in the Dynasty video, but to put it simply, uh, those that are attributing, yes, is Devontae Adams getting out into this offense going to impact the target share of a guy like Darren Waller or everybody in the offense, quite frankly? Absolutely. Bringing in a 30-plus target share receiver is going to have that impact. However, if you're more worried about Darren Waller's ability to earn targets rather than ancillary pieces like Hunter Renfro and I don't even know who else they have in that wide receiver core, but Hunter anybody Renfro, else, yeah, literally anybody else, then you're doing it wrong. Like if Darren Waller's on the field, he's going to operate in a different part of the portion of the field that Devontae Adams will. And as a result, I mean, he's still going to be a 105, 110 at minimum target tight end. You're getting that along with offensive insulation and what should be a top, 12 to 15 offense with the Raiders. I think it's going to be worst. a top 10 passing offense. At, sure. at worst. And, and this is a guy, again, that has 8 to 12 touchdown upside. Give, and yes. we haven't really seen that from Darren Waller because Devontae Adams, we know how much attention he commands in the red zone, and it could free up a guy like Darren Waller. So that's the that's the allure for Darren Waller for me is the fact that he could have like an outlier touchdown season. Yep. No, I, I agree. Uh, I'm more than fine with this guy in the mid rounds. Um, but either way, the guy that is the extreme value, the guy that... I feel like drafter just kind of got lulled to sleep on because he hasn't made his decision yet. Like take it away with Rob Gronkowski. Okay. Like, first of all, the, I, there was a report that came out in the athletic that league sources around the league believe that Rob Gronkowski will resign with the Buccaneers. So they must have some kind of like actual legitimate inside information to think that's going to happen. Also just makes sense. Tom Brady's back. Why wouldn't Rob Gronkowski be back? Obviously if Brady was gone, then there's legitimate question marks of whether Gronk is going to be back. Then we have, uh, Gronkowski going off the board, like you said, tight end 11, 
113 overall. This is a guy that you can get in a double-digit round sometimes. And the things that I, the thing that I love about Gronkowski is last year he's a guy that was just getting such high-value targets, led all tight ends in average depth of target. He was getting targeted like 10-plus yards downfield, 14 deep targets, 12 red zone targets last year on only 89 total targets, top six in uh, targets per route run at the tight end position, only scored six touchdowns last year to a guy that in a great offense that threw 43 passing touchdowns, you think he would have had you know a high touchdown total, but Mike Evans scored 14 of them. So uh, there's a chance that Gronkowski and Evans kind of balance each other out as far as touchdowns go if he's back in Tampa Bay. Tight end two last year in expected fantasy points per game based on all the usage that I kind of just outlined. Tight end three in actual fantasy points per game, 14.3 fantasy points per game, despite being limited in a couple games and only playing six snaps in week eight against New Orleans. And if you remove that game, he's up to 15.5 PPR points per game, tight end three. And again, only on six touchdowns, like I said. So, uh, I mean, we all know too, Chris Godwin coming off a torn ACL in December. There's a chance that it's just Mike Evans, Gronkowski, and Russell Gage competing for targets early on I think Gronkowski is got to be the easiest target of any position in underdog drafts for me right now yes there's uncertainty because he could retire but I think if he was going to retire he already would have also you're playing in a tournament with 450 freaking thousand people who cares if he retires you spend a few drafts on him and you took him in the 11th round sure those drafts may be dead but if he actually comes out of retirement you got an elite tight end in the 11th round exactly like you have to think of it from a macro portfolio perspective. If you're in your your hypothetical, if you were drafting your redraft league right now, maybe you're a little bit more concerned. But if you're in a big tournament and you're getting access to ADP that other people will not simply have access to, take him. His ceiling is quite literally top three in the NFL in fantasy football period. And you mentioned 15 and a half points per game just, uh, if you bar out that New Orleans game where he didn't play a lot of snaps on six touchdowns. We know Tom Brady's going to throw for 45 touchdowns this year, give or take 40, 40 45 40 touchdowns. 40 to 45, yeah, that's what he's throwing. Conservative the type years. of projection. So if you know that Tom Brady's going to throw 40 to 45 touchdowns, if you know that Chris Godwin's going to miss the first few games of the season, yeah, Mike Evans is going to ball out. Mike Evans is going to have 15 touchdowns this year. Rob Gronkowski could be flirting with 10, 12. He could lead the league in terms of the tight end position at touchdown. So – you're getting that at 11th round opportunity cost. Like, yeah, sign me up. You, you know a reason why I'm passing on these mid-tier three-ish tight ends? Because freaking Rob Gronkowski is going at the 113th pick. Yeah, and I mean, not that it really matters, but OJ Howard's no longer there too. Could lead to some more snaps, some more routes for Gronkowski. Um, yeah, he's just such an easy to- If when he, when he eventually says he's coming back, I would rather have Rob Gronkowski than Kyle Pitts. And I'm not kidding. I would rather have Rob Gronkowski than discussion. Kyle Pitts. It's a it's discussion. A discussion. Like, because when you think about it, they have a similar you know, target, like the targets are obviously going to favor Kyle Pitts because he's an ascending player still, but the touchdown opportunity for Rob Gronkowski, and we know how good he is at scoring touchdowns is going to outweigh and how good his offense is and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, Gronk, a guy that I'm absolutely heavily targeting. We can go on to a guy on your team, Dalton Schultz uh, for the Cowboys. Yeah. We mentioned elite ceiling with Gronk. I don't see elite ceiling with Dalton Schultz. Tight end six off the board right now, currently going at about the 70th overall pick in underdog fantasy drafts. More so probably from a stacking perspective. Let's just say you took CD in the one-two turn area. You took Dalton Schultz, and then you could wrap around to that eight and get back. That's probably why he gets pushed up this far, because realistically, I don't think he has access to a 16-point-per-game type of season. You know, 16% target share player is nice, but not elite. 100 targets, you know, should be a good total. He should be if he stays healthy a mid tight end one the bet on Schultz though that I will say if he were to actually return 
elite status type of numbers would have to be a career outlier in touchdowns. We know Dak's going to throw 35, 40 touchdowns if he stays healthy this year. If Dalton Schultz comes down with 10, 11, 12 touchdowns this year, which again would be an outlier. He only had eight last year, which you know is a fine number, but isn't in that elite type of category. Dalton Schultz had an outlier year in touchdowns. Yes, he can flirt with that, but he's not going to simply be able to keep up with your George Kittle, your Cal Pitts, your Rob Gronkowski, your Darren Waller from a sheer target standpoint. So overall, although I like Schultz and I don't mind, especially if I'm making a Cowboy stat because you need or stat because you need that correlation in best ball. In a managed type of league, I just kind of think it's a trap taking a tight end at this opportunity cost. Because in rea- in reality, even if he finishes tight end five, tight end six, let's just say, you know, bullish end. The difference between tight end six and like tight end 15 is pretty minuscule. And for that reason alone, if I'm in a managed league and I have the choice between se- spending a 70th overall pick on what I think might be a limited ceiling tight end versus, you know, waiting until round 13 and getting a Cole Komet who should boast a 20, 21, 22% target share and give you that volume while again being a 13th round pick. The only type of advantage you would have at that point is saying Cowboys offense going to throw more touchdowns than the Bears offense. Right. And you also have the fact that you're probably getting like Rashad Bateman with the pick that you're going to get Dalton exactly. Schultz at as it currently stands. Yeah. I actually, I'm not a, really the, that opposed to taking Dalton Schultz where he's currently going. If I can get him in the seventh, eighth round of like a managed league, I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't think it's outrageous to say for that security. he actually does maybe have a bit of a higher ceiling than maybe even you're giving him credit for because he's still a young player. He's still an ascending player. It's a possibility that he does, you know, take yeah. a step forward as a, as a guy with, with Amari Cooper gone. Now they might need a, a secondary locked and loaded target to step up. And I think Schultz can be that guy. Yeah, no, he's definitely a fine option. And, you know, you get him at a little bit of discount, I'm more and more willing to do it. It's just Schultz, Goddard, Hawkinson, even when we get into the Ertz range, there isn't Whoever's the cheapest of those guys is probably isn't much the guy you go with. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We can transition right into Goddard, yeah. who is currently pretty much the cheapest of these guys. And uh, Dallas Goddard tied in 896th overall pick. So a guy that you're getting more in like the ninth round type of area. I think another guy that'll probably be in casual leagues, push down the board because of the too many mouths to feed. Uh, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith in year two, coupled with the fact that you have a, a very solid tight end in Dallas Goddard and a young quarterback who could take the next step as a passer is why I'm not really worried about Dallas Goddard. Um, does he have a top three ceiling? Probably not because AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are going to eat into his target share, but a better offense means more opportunities for touchdowns. Kind of a similar theme we've talked about for a number of these guys. It also means more sustained drives, more offensive efficiency for Dallas Goddard, more efficiency on his targets. So the case for me is pretty simple for Dallas Goddard. He's not going to have, you know, 130 targets this year or anything, but could he have 105, 110 targets? Then they're way more efficient than they've been at any point in his career thus, uh, thus far. Absolutely. And we got to also remember too, Dallas Goddard, this is his first year as the starter for, for the Eagles because Ertz was there the first six games last year. Yeah, no, uh, Dallas Goddard, talent-wise, no issues with him. And to put it simply, if he was in a better situation, he is one of the tight ends out of that top five range that I think can compare with your Waller-Kittle area. Maybe, maybe not Kittle because Kittle's probably the best tight end overall from a talent standpoint, but he can compare with them from a pure, pure talent standpoint. But I mean, the the, the the issues here would be the target competition. Again, I'm not a firm believer that it's going to impact his floor because he's going to command targets regardless. But having Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown there, and what should be at best probably a you know top 12-ish type of passing offense, even if we're b- being bullish, it's going to affect his ceiling. The bull case that you would have for a guy like Dallas Goddard would be 
This Eagles offense going to improve. They're going to throw more in the red zone. They're going to target their six foot six, two hundred and fifty pound beast in the red zone. That would be the bull case I would see because he's shown the ability to command targets even when the Eagles weren't throwing the ball a ton. Give him some more supplementation from a pure raw volume standpoint, despite the target competition, and give him more valuable touchdowns or targets in the red zone. I don't mind Dallas Goddard across again. I like Dalton Schultz over Goddard, but when we're mentioning opportunity costs and we're saying, okay, would 30, I rather spend 30 pick discrepancy almost. So I was about to say, you're mentioning nearly a 30 pick discrepancy and I'm looking at round. I mean, 67 or 69th pick is about what the sixth round. If I'm mentioning, you know, a sixth round wide receiver, like Elijah Moore versus a ninth round receiver, like who are we even talking about there? Like Juju. Yeah. yeah. I was like, going to say, probably not even, to be honest. I think Juju probably be off the board by then, like Sky Moore. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, like, just give me the value at tight end on what should be a comparable player. Yeah, exactly. I have no I have no qualms taking Dallas Goddard. I think A.J. Brown's also going to dictate coverage, too, and that's going to help yeah. Goddard uh, get a little bit freed. Uh, a guy that, I mean, we constantly rip on this dude, but uh, we talk about T.J. Hawkinson here. Uh, tight end 7, 84. Point nine overall in underdog fantasy. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're looking for me to say some rosier words, I mean, maybe Bush can contribute on that regard. Because to put it simply, I mean, TJ Hawkinson, like, yeah, he's going to command more targets than Dalton Schultz, but he is Dalton Schultz minus the offensive insulation. Like, similar type of, you know, average-ish type of athletes. They're not going to do anything crazy from a down-the-field efficiency standpoint, but they should be, you know, steady, reliable players to convert the chains in their offense, which... I don't just bet on non-dynamic tight ends uh, if I'm looking for an elite ceiling. Again, his price isn't bad. 85th overall pick, tight end seven. I don't think, honestly, that's that's terrible. He should be a 21%, 22% target share type of player if he stays healthy. The problem that I have with him is that what is the upside that we're accessing here? He'll probably finish tight end seven and he's being drafted tight end seven. And that's fine. Exactly. But like, like you said, there's not a huge difference between like tight end six and tight end 15. So if you don't have that access to at least a, a moderately decent ceiling, then you're probably not really worth that pick at that point. So um, with, yeah, with Hawkinson, I'm probably just going to, if he falls in the eighth, ninth round, he's the best option on the board. Sure. I'm cool with that. But if I have to spend a six, seventh round pick on the guy, I'm probably not going to do that. This is going to be a little brain wrap for you too. But uh, from a stylistic and from a role standpoint, like what is the big difference between what Hawkinson represents for the Lions versus I mentioned Cole Komet, what Cole Komet represents for the Bears? I, I I mean, there's arguments to be made in favor of both guys. Hawkinson's a little bit more proven. Cole Komet, though, didn't score a touchdown last year. Had pretty similar like receiving numbers in terms of his target share. You could also make the argument that Justin Fields could surprise this year, and he's definitely going to be you know at least on par with Derek or with uh, Jared Goff, I would say. And uh, also, he's probably got less target competition too. It's just Darnell Mooney there for the most part. So, I mean, if we if we're making the argument that you may be able to take a Cole Komet over Hawkins straight up again, I, I'm not going to have it ranked that way. But if you can make that argument and you're getting Give one, me Komet you know, in the 13th round versus exactly Hawkinson in the seventh, eighth, then I'll uh, I'll take Komet there for sure. Yeah, I don't I'm not opposed to taking Hawkinson if he falls to round eight or nine, though. I don't think he's a bad pick there, Agreed. but I probably would pair him with an upside tight end if I can uh, just to make sure I get some kind of ceiling potential at that position. So the final guy, not really an upside pick either, but a guy that did show quite a bit. Last year, especially if you guys play in PPR leagues, which most of you do, tight end 10, uh, Zach Ertz for the Arizona Cardinals, 109.9 overall. Another guy that I think is just a great value and another reason I'm probably skipping over this the, the tier that we just talked about because I think Gronk and, and Ertz are just like way, way too undervalued right now. 
uh, tight end five in PPR points per game once Zach Ertz joined the Cardinals in week seven. Five or more targets in 10 of 12 games that he played with them and five games of 12 where he had nine plus targets too. They rewarded Zach Ertz with an extension pretty quickly in the offseason too. Kyler, hopefully he can finally stay healthy for a full 16, 17 games. And DeAndre Hopkins is suspended to start the season out. So there's a chance that Zach Ertz gets out to a scorching hot, you know, tight end three or four or something in fantasy to start the year. And maybe you can flip him if you want to. If you don't want to hold Zach Ertz the whole year and you know that Hopkins coming back is going to like limit his target share or whatever, maybe you can flip Zach Ertz after week four after he's had a bunch of good games for a struggling Kyle Pitts or a struggling, you know, whoever is going ahead of him. Yeah, or maybe, you know, you package like a wide receiver four archetype that had two flash 60-yard touchdowns. Yeah, like, and you get up to like, Waller or Kittle or Gronk or someone like that. Well, I was just going to say, like, what if, like, you know, K.J. Osborne has a couple games, you know, to start the year where he goes, like, three for 70 in a touchdown or, like, four for 83 in a MBS touchdown. catches a couple long touchdowns or something. Right? Like, if that happens and you, you put, you know – the by week four, what should be like the wide receiver, like 23 attached to, you know, Zach Ertz, who maybe the tight end four. And, you know, you're in a more casual league and somebody says, well, Kyle Pitts is tight end nine. He's giving me tight end four and wide receiver 23. Like, yeah, I'll take that. And I'm sure like Bush will get into those micro type of comparisons. Oh yeah. I cover that shit. All the, and it sounds crazy at the time, but again, we got to remember what the in season mindset is, especially of players that maybe are, are not as, you know, in tune with the, with the trade situation and they really don't know what they're doing. There's a chance you can get away with some stuff like that. So again, it's all dependent on how uh, sharp your league is and how people trade, but um, anything else to add on Zach Ertz or any of these tight ends or should we head out of here? Now we should head out of here. Uh, we're running about 40 minutes. If you guys have made it this just far. It's way too long to be talking about tight ends, by the exactly. way. Exactly. I just wanted to say, I, again, we went more so in depth on some of those top options, kind of differentiating, you know, our differences in philosophy. So I'm sure the viewers would get more value from that. But either way, if you've made it this far, comment down below, tight ends are yucky. Because, I mean, that is just a theme of FSE and tight ends. Like, to put it simply, we don't want them, but... Knowing that you have to start one, you got to break them down. So hopefully you guys can hit on that right one, hit on that next breakout tight end that could potentially win you a league. Yeah, and that's usually my department. I'm usually the spot the breakouts tight end guy because I refuse to draft one early. It's like it's like buying like a new dress shirt when I know I can go to a thrift store and get like a barely used dress shirt that's very, very high quality for like $5 because I do it all the time. So that's that's pretty much how I handle the tight end position. I'm a bargain bin tight end uh, tight end shopper. So Dumpster diver, um, like baby. Danny said, if you enjoy the video, like, comment, subscribe, uh, check out Underdog Fantasy if you guys want to take some of this right into action, get some access to these tight ends. We're going to be in Brooklyn uh, next week uh, in a couple days from you uh, when you guys are watching this on Saturday, and we are super excited. I swear to God, if Rob Gronkowski signs with the Bucks before Tuesday, I'm going to be irritated because I want to get all the value on Gronk before that happens, and I will be really, really mad if he if he decides to sign there before I can snatch up any of that value. So um, with that being said, peace out, guys. We'll talk to you soon.